0: You guys, welcome to church. My name is Matt Moberg. Thrilled that you are with us tonight. Let me get my notes up here. Um, this is the part of the program where, sorry, I'm accounting for all my kids right now. Are they all leaving the room the way they're supposed to be living the room? There's the last one. <laughs> oh, you think you're better than the rules. Okay, I see you. <laughs> Anyways, um, geez, don't drop the G's on me. Regardless of what you get in this space in the program where we talk about some kind of um, textual content, we get into the hermeneutics of it all. The number one thing we want you to retain and walk away with is that who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. If you fall asleep for the next 20 minutes and you don't hear anything else I have to say, I will still have peace if you can retain that alone. If you will let that peace catch up to you, let it sink deep within you, and let it speak a truth. Now let's get into the sermon. I have a story that I wanted to share. I'm feeling a little shaky about the illustration as far as whether or not it actually is worthy of sharing, but I'm gonna go about it all the same. It's uncomfortable because I don't personally like to share when I go to expensive places and I spend money, but the story warrants it. The other day I went to the gas station and I filled up my tank. And I was there with my motorcycle, which the haters will call a moped, but we know spiritually it's still a Harley. And it was late in the evening, the sun had long been set, and I was filling it up when, at the end of it, when I had seen the, the brim be reached, um, I pulled it out, like you do at a pump. Problem is, is that the trigger had been stuck. You know what I mean? Like the trigger gets stuck? You know what I'm saying? Okay. Trigger had been stuck, not to my knowledge. I pull it out, the gas is going everywhere. I'm talking about all in the air, all over me, all over the st- everywhere. And we're next to uh, the book club restaurant. And so everyone that's having a meal, a peaceful, quiet meal, they see me flailing in this lake of ethanol and they don't know how to intervene. Nobody knows what to do, including me. And so I just keep shooting the thing in the air, not sure of how am I supposed to get this on. And I can't take off my shades because when you drive a Harley, you can't just take off your shades. And so I am standing there until finally I figure how I unlatch this trigger and I let it go and the thing comes to an end about $8.46 later. Something of that sort. I get, in my, I get on my motorcycle and I go on my way with a full tank of gas. Maybe this, you know, yelp me later if this illustration doesn't pan out. My, like I said, my confidence in it is cracking as I go along. but. When I think about that gas station, I think about the text that we're going to read tonight in Acts 10. Rachel, you are giving a face like, oh, this is not good so far. (laughs) Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. I think about a text in Acts 10. I think about these disruptive, messy moments. I think about conversations that you and I throughout the week have had where we talk about this longing to grow, longing to expand, longing to progress in our own stories, in the expansive and wideness of our hearts. That does not happen without making a mess. That does not happen without some form of a disruption being delivered in uprooting all of our other forms. All of the things that we have held along the way, all of the things that we have tried to carry with us, whether it be belief systems or otherwise. When I think about what happened at that moment, I think about these things. And one of the things I was talking to my wife about earlier today, when I kind of posed the question, hoping she would give a better answer. I said, Lauren, what what like, what is the path you would take with this Acts 10 text? You don't even know what the text is off the top of your mind, I haven't provided to you with, but it's about disruptions. And she started talking about this or that, I wasn't the most like leaning in and listening, but I said, but babe, it's disruptions. Peter is on the roof and he's learning something new. He's catching a revelation that unfolds everything that is old. It's about disruptions. It's about how who you were when you were 15 isn't who you are when you're 25. What you believed when you were 18 isn't what you believed when you're 32. It's about disruptions. The story of the gospel is about growth. The story of the gospel is about expansion. The story of the gospel is about starting with this small, narrow road and expanding it so that all can come to the party. The story of the gospel is the invitation into your life for you to come as you are and be left with a wide open heart in the end. The story is about, just, let me just ask you, and I want you to actually think about this. I know that we can do the obligatory head nods, and when we're, especially when we're sitting in church where it's like, oh, I do think. But really try to think about this. When you consider the things that you believed when you were 13, 15, 18, 21, do they reflect the things that you believe right now? Do you still believe today what you believed back then? And if your answer is no, why not? My hunch is, is that somewhere along the way, in the middle of your story, you ran into a gas spill or two, connecting it to the illustration. It's not as easy as it looks, Kevin, stay with me. But somewhere along the way, in the own process of your own developments, you had some kind of disruption that made you ask new questions about previously held beliefs. New questions about long-held conclusions. When did it happen for you? Try to conjure up in this moment right now where the shift started to take place in you. Did you travel somewhere? Did you encounter a new perspective? Did you run upon some research that you had not previously considered? I mean, for me, if you're asking me about my faith formation and how I got to where I am today, the things that I am seeing today, the, the beliefs that I hold today, I have faces in my mind. We could be here for three hours plus because I could tell you about the times where I've sat at a breakfast table alongside of somebody else and they've told me a story in complete sincerity and it's, I no longer was able to categorize them like I had previously longed to do so. The limitations on who I thought they were, they no longer were as strong as I once had held. They increasingly grew fragile with every word that they spoke, every experience that they had, every encounter that they shared. And so if you ask me what brought me to where I am today in my spiritual journey, I would tell you it's the disruptions along the way. It's the gas spills that, yes, there was an absolute mess, but the Harley still got filled. I I was able to leave that station capable of going further, and farther and faster because I went there in the first place. That's not always the case, though. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. There are some people, though, that walk through the world as if it's a minefield that is active. Where every disruption, even considered the past couple of years, and all of the collective disruptions we have experienced, the pandemic, Afghanistan, the economic collapse, Ukraine, Buffalo yesterday, All of these massive uprootings. And again, that's just on the collective level. We're not talking about your personal calls that you've had with your doctor or your wife leaving you or the things where finally somebody spoke up in the family and told the truth when we had long ago decided we were going to suppress this information. I'm not talking about the uprootings in your own life. I'm just scratching the surface on the collective level. There are those out there who have had their worlds flipped upside down and yet they have stayed steady with the status quo. Matter of fact, I would say that many people in my own life, they've actually dug down deeper. And it's in return or in turn, is that how you say it? Speak up, please. In turn. Almost made them more angrier. Again, conversation with my wife earlier, when we've asked like, why is it, That those who have insisted upon looking at the world in all of its complexity still insisted upon seeing it only in black and white. Why is it that they are growing increasingly angrier? Well, the answer is obvious. You can't get rid of the grays as easily as you once could. The town hall has grown much larger and the world has grown much smaller and all of a sudden experiences and perspectives and stories are being shared at rapid pace and you can't get rid of the grays as easily as you once could. And so there are disruptions all around you, but some people still prefer not to see them for what they are. They do not have the tolerance for the tension that comes attached with the disruption. Matter of fact, I was remember in this moment when we first planted this church, the table. I was at a Target, the one in he dined. I was in the aisle of uh, dairy products. I don't know why that's important, but stay with me. There was a guy that came up to me, and he had about 10, maybe 15 seconds of casual conversation, the basic X's and O's of mingling when he went to, why don't you believe in the Bible? I heard that you guys are planting a fully affirming and fully inclusive church, and so what is it about the Bible That you don't believe? What is it about, now I'm looking at his cart full of yogurt, and I say, what is it about ice cream that you don't believe? Because there's there's a trade-off here. What is it about the Bible that you do not believe? Do you not buy into, I mean, for me, this is him, for me, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I don't care what your opinions are about it. I don't care where your emotional reactions may lead you. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's black and white, no capacity for grace. Tell me why you are getting so confused. And I said, wait a minute. Did God actually say it? Or did your tradition of understanding what God said, colored by the prejudice and preferences that you've held, actually shape what God said? Because there's a difference between the two. The, one is not the other? It, it, did God actually say it? Or did you muster up the courage to face and tolerate the tension that comes with the disruption with entering into what God actually said, even if it might lead you to something different than what you are saying? There's a reason why Jesus in his magnum opus, his Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Plain, depending upon which gospel you read, five different times, he looks at the crowd that's assembled on the hill and he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Did you hear what he just said? He's not critiquing what the Bible has written. He's critiquing how people have read it. You heard it said. You've listened to the Midrashic tradition that was reacting to this text and interpreting it in this way and setting it in stone and insisting upon its truth. But I say to you, how you heard it isn't how it is. There's a difference between the two. And immediately, you know what happens after that Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees, the religious elite at hand, they come to Jesus and say, why are you dogging on Moses like that? Why are you coming after Moses and everything, like our leader, our our, our founder of our faith. Jesus said, I didn't say one word about Moses. But you heard what I said and you interpreted it as some kind of abuse, indirectly or directly of Moses. The question isn't about what the Bible has written, the question is about how you are listening. How are you hearing the text? Are you allowing life to unfold around you, to disrupt you, to spill gas all over you, and actually lead you to a place where you are more full More capable of going further? Or are you like those disciples who saw a Christ get lynched on a hill and decided to go back to the black and white world of Galilee where they could fish like they used to? Back to the simpler times. Dig in our heels and hold on to what we believe. What do you do with the disruptions in your lives? What do you do with those times where you encounter and experience a story or otherwise, and all of a sudden the previously held beliefs are called into question? Listen, I've said it 10,000 times, and I'll say it once more. Nothing in me when I stand before you is asking you to all of a sudden question your faith. I'm trying to give you permission to accept the fact that you already are questioning your faith, and you can do that out loud. The story of the scripture from start to stop is all about naming these things that we carry and asking, is there actual substance inside of them? Or are we doing these obligatory head nods and these polite dances, these one-two steps to abide by some set of rules that we don't even no longer know why we keep? This is a moment that Peter himself had to face. Peter is in Joppa. He's doing ministry. Peter is one of the founders of the church. Some would say the rock upon which the church was built. And he has this moment where he's in Joppa and he has just raised a woman back from the dead. Apparently that stirs up quite the appetite. He goes to the roof of Simon the Tanner's house, which this is a side note and I probably should dive into it further, but a faithful Jew would not be at a Tanner's house there's part of the progressive nature of God where God is going to pull you further and not ask for your permission first. A tanner is somebody who is touching dead animals, touching hides, animal hides, in contact doing the forbidden work that Jews were forbidden to do. And yet Peter, somehow in his own expansive warming of the heart, he's been brought to this tanner's house. He's on a roof now and he becomes hungry And when he gets hungry, it says he wanted something to eat, but while they're preparing it, he fell into this trance. Now, we tend to go woo-woo, gooey-gooey, don't know what to do with that hard pass. But at this time, vision's experienced were actually to be, like, taken seriously. What you saw, if that shifted your story, please go on to speak about it. Peter has a vision when he's on this roof. And here's what he saw. He saw the heavens opened And something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I love that part. I've always loved that part because it's Peter saying... I love God far too much to actually listen to what God has to say. In defense of his tradition, he says, no, I can't do that. Out of fidelity to God, I have to be unfaithful to God. You see how backwards this is, and yet also how familiar it is. How many times might the Spirit be pulling you into something, and yet out of fidelity to a religious tradition, how you heard it was said, you shook your head and you said, no spirit, no. That sheep may drop, but my list of shoulds, they will still stand. And this is something I cannot do. Peter decides that this message from the spirit and the sheep that is dropping, it is incongruent with what he can actually do. He doesn't have the spiritual permission to pursue this. And I think, you know, let me slow down, I'm talking fast. My two too hyped up about this? You're mouthing something right now. Nope, you're doing great. A warning symbol? I am. You're doing great. You know, here's the thing with this kind of text right here is this speaks so central to who I am and what I care about that it's strictly like shotgun approach which might be experiencing as chaos right now. But this matters for my story, for your story. Your ability to tolerate the tension of disruption so that you can grow into a place of development and be who God called you to be. I have learned through my own spirituality, through my own sobriety, that your tolerance for tension determines your potential for growth, period. Your ability to grow, it hinges upon your your ability to actually embrace the tension. Peter right here, he does not muster up the ability to embrace tension this tension. And I guess he has reasons too. I mean, to understand Acts 10, you have to go back to Leviticus 11 where there are strict dietary restrictions at hand. I'm not encouraging you to read Leviticus 11 because I think even like the CDC guidelines would be a more refreshing light read than that. But it does get pretty elaborate and pretty extensive in saying, you know, if you're going to eat a land animal, you have to eat a fully hooved animal that is uh, constantly eating of the cud. It can't be a split hood, can't choose something else outside of the cud. Has to be, if you want a sea animal, it has to have fins, has to have scales. You can't have shrimp. Who wants a world without shrimp? These were the words offered up in Leviticus 11. And so Peter has all these fear flags saying, I can't do this. You want me to do God what out of fidelity to God I can't actually do. I remember the first ceremony that I did for a same-sex couple. When I was fully for it, it was beautiful, it was holy, it was sacred and yet I promise you there were fear flags flying in the back of my head saying like, is this actually okay? Can I actually perform this ceremony? Peter says no to the spirit because he's saying yes to those flags. Peter says no to where God is pulling him Because he says, there's something in me that just doesn't feel right. And instead of actually embracing the tension and finding out what is true inside of it and where you are pulling me next, I would rather just sidestep the whole thing altogether. Peter says, I see what is on that sheet, but no, it cannot be on that plate. And if you know the story of God and you know the story of scriptures, what starts in Leviticus 11 as a list of rules as to what can be on your plate, it spills out into what kind of people can be in your life. You know, in the same way they look at food and they say, like, does it have fins, does it have scales? Does it eat of the cud? Is it fully hoofed? Is that a split that I see? It spills into, like, are they sick? Are they poor? Are they Pharisees like me? Are they Gentiles? You say they're Jewish, what kind of Jewish are they? All these different labels, all these different systems of categorization to understand who is clean and who is not clean. Peter has this form in him that has been very formative. We all have forms and, and systems within us that have been very formative. But at some point they can be restrictive. These things that helped us get a firm footing, at some point they can be the things that weaponize our faith. What was good for us in second grade in the basement of the church listening to Miss Stephanie on the felt board isn't as helpful for us when you are 32 and trying to understand who the person of Christ is and what it means for your life. Because the longer you live, the more complexities you collect. Peter is asked, the list of Leviticus 11, are you really going to abide by it? Or are you going to see what the Spirit is sending your way? Case in point, the writer of Acts goes out of their way to say, it's like a sheet and it's being held up by all four corners. You know what that means? There's a mess in the middle. If all four corners are being held up, that means that all of the animals, the reptiles and the birds are colliding onto one another in the middle. It is an absolute mess. Nothing is getting out of here Levitically like cleansed. Everyone is picking up some level of uncleanliness in the midst of this. And Peter has to decide, what does this mean? Many Christians want to be saved from discernment. But the ultimate question the gospel asks is, will you lean in enough, embrace enough tension where you are saved through discernment? You are growing through discernment. You're not just dismissive of every discomfort that comes your way. You see the sheet that you would prefer not to see. It unfolds before your eyes. You hear the words of the Spirit that do not line up with the words of your tradition. You say, I will take the leap of faith. When we sing songs like the oceans and we sing like, what do we say? What's the words of that song? Spirit lead me with my trust. Is without. That's exactly what that's about. Can you bring me further than my previously held parameters have allowed me to go? There is no story of the gospel outside of this story right here. You read the text, actually, the holistic Bible, the Torah and beyond, from start to stop, from Genesis to Revelation, from the Garden of Eden to the New Jerusalem. It is all about inclusion. It starts with these questions of who are the people of God and who aren't the people of God. And if these are the people of God, how do we treat those who aren't the people of God? And then you have it emphasized in the life of Jesus where you see the good story of the good Samaritan is a story of inclusion. The story of the encounter with the woman at the well is a story of inclusion. The story of how Jesus responds to the temple, the women, the uh, widows, the lepers, all of it is a story of inclusion. And then you have this moment, What you might not be familiar with, is this moment precedes another moment, this milestone climactic moment where Peter is being called to a centurion's house. A Roman soldier's house. A Roman soldier like the other Roman soldiers who killed the Christ. Peter is being sent to that house to bring them in on the good news of community and the life of God. And you know what's amazing is that Peter gets, he darkens the doorways of this house. The man's name is Cornelius. And he says, God has told me to not call unclean that which he has called clean. Question, when did God tell him not to call unclean? Cornelius the centurion, unclean. Drew, he doesn't say it. It doesn't happen. He showed him a sheet held up by all four corners where different animals were colliding. And Peter, through discernment, through looking at the life that was happening around him, from sensing where the spirit was pulling him next, the spirit could have sent down a sheet with graffiti on top that said, go to the Gentiles, go to Cornelius and tell them that they're in, tell them that they're loved, tell them that they're enough. But instead the spirit says, I will not spare you of discernment because it's a prerequisite for your growth. So he drops the sheet on top of all of his shoulds and Peter starts to connect the dots as he's standing in the doorway of Cornelius' house and he says, listen, there's a sheep back there Animals on top of each other. There's a person over here that I shouldn't even be in his house. My sense is, can I say it with certainty like I could the old tradition? No, I cannot. But my sense is that what I saw in that sheet tells me how I should proceed in this house. There are sheets dropping all around you all the time. I believe that. I believe that at the last, this is why at the Last Supper when Jesus is with his disciples, he says, listen, there's so much more that I want to tell you, but right now you cannot bear. It's not that I don't want to say it, it's just that you're not ready to hear it. I have a lot of truth I would like to hand over to you, but your conscience right now as it presently stands is not capable of retaining, maintaining, and carrying forward the truth that I have to offer. But here's the good news. There is the spirit of truth who will guide you over time in your incarnational faith. If you actually make the choice of stop taking the story of the word who became flesh and turning it back into words that you need to protect. If you actually do that brave work, you're going to come to see that spirituality is not something that is downloadable. It's not a quick software up, update. It's not, it doesn't happen in the microwave. Jesus says it's like a seed inside of the soil. And over time, different truths will be unlocked as we have the capacity to retain it. Do you hear the sheets being dropped all around you? There's not a more pressing question for the church today. Do you see where God is pulling you next? Let me close with this because I don't want to talk too long, right, Jerome? Jerome says yes. Billy Graham is this iconic figure that I grew up, he was always placed on a pedestal of sorts. And after he died, I remember spending a little time just kind of reflecting upon his life, and I recognized that in 25 different of his massive crusades, these huge rallies that he had throughout the country and in the presence of presidents and other people high on the totem pole, in 25 different crusades, he had sections in the crowd that were listed for colored people. 25 different crusades, they were speaking about how God loves you. And 25 different crusades, and said, for colored people, you go here, though. Now, eventually... This caught up to him. And he recognized the incongruency of the gospel of good news and the restrictions in his crowd. And he said, this is wrong. This is not how I can be about my business. This needs to stop. And so he goes to Chattanooga and he himself personally goes into the crowd and he unlatches that section. He says, take this away. This will not stand in my presence. Get it out of here right now. And it's a beautiful and holy moment. But then he goes to Jackson, Mississippi and he has another crusade. And when he gets to Jackson all of the local political leaders are surrounding him and they're pressuring him and they're pushing on him. And eventually after hemming and hawing and hedging, he says, listen, you can have your section. Put the ropes back up. My job is to share the gospel. It's not to get involved in local politics. This iconic figure, this pastor of America, called Matters of Civil Rights and Segregation, Local Politics. I have a friend who, years later, when Graham was 90 years old, got the chance to have a lunch with him. And with 10 other pastors around the table, they sat and they listened to the man and asked him questions. And eventually somebody asked my friend, they said, do you have any questions for Dr. Graham that you would like to ask? And my friend said, what is the thing that you regret the most? Is there anything from your story, your life as a crusader, as this iconic figure that you wish you could do an edit, undo of? And my friend said that without flinching, Grant leaned in his chair, no longer this towering figure, but now a fragile 90-year-old man. And he said to him and to the rest of the table, I would give 10 of my finest crusades to have marched in Selma. I would give 10 of my finest crusades to have been right about civil rights earlier on. I would give 10 of my finest crusades to take back the apathy that I extended to this situation. And the question came at him and they said, Well, what made you change? And he said, the biblical text same Bible that he read earlier on. But after recruiting and accumulating different shared experiences, hearing from stories, he went back to that same text with a new experience and it no longer spoke the same words. A sheet had dropped and the shoulds have left. May that be true for each and every one of us. Jesus. You are always forward, you're never back. You're always pulling us into what's next in the midst of what's now. And yes, it can be messy. And yes, it can be hard and difficult. And yes, there is tension involved, but God, you are good. And the things in our midst that are making us cause our call old things into question. God, that's from you. There's only one kind of creation that the Spirit will acknowledge, and that's new. And so, God, even in the midst of, for those of us who have been in this story for a long time, who have given our lives to Christ, God, make us a new creation. Give us new eyes, new hearts. Lord, so we can leave these lives where we live this severe, loveless form of accuracy and walk with widened hearts instead. Jesus, you are good. Jesus, we are grateful. Lead us on, O King Eternal. In Christ's name we all pray. Amen.
1: Thanks, Matt. Um, Disruptions are good and necessary, and they're also hard. Um, In those times of tension and uncertainty, it's often hard to know what to do, what to think, where to turn. And I think about um, the disciples the night before Jesus was handed over and all the disruptions that they were going through and the things they couldn't know and the things that they didn't know. And Jesus' word to them was remember. Remember you have somewhere you can come back to. You can come back together around the table and remember me. that's what we're going to do together. If you want to grab your elements. And the night before Jesus was handed over, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you do this, remember me. And he took the cup of wine and he said, drink this. When you drink this, remember me we remember coming together, we remember the great love of Jesus, and we remember we have somewhere
0: I that target, I was just thinking about this remember with the bow on the story. The, guy, final question, the guy's final question for me was, Matt, do you not believe in the authority of Scripture? And we all saw that coming. And I said, I actually do believe in the authority of Scripture. What I don't believe in is the authority of your interpretation of Scripture, and you should certainly have questions about mine. There is a difference between protecting your faith and participating in it being free enough to hold it up to honest evaluation and hope and love and mercy but seeing through to say what still stands right now in light of what I've encountered what's come at me, what's come from me what still stands right now where is God in the midst of this right now what is the sheet being dropped down right now friends, will you close your eyes, hold out your hands and receive these words from the heart of God as we close out this space together we think about the disruptions in our lives and our own personal tolerance for the tension that they bring, hear these words that rest at the heart of who you are. No matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you stay, please know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you are a beloved child of God and beloved you belong. Peace. We'll see you next Sunday. Parents, pick up your babies. Right? Yeah. Outside. Outside.